0: of the Damn Sailors Podcast. I am your host, Captain Rick, coming to you from sailing vessel Querida here in beautiful Galveston Bay. And I have with me one of the best damn sailors that I've ever met, Mr. Sam Epps. How's it going, Sam? Howdy, folks.
1: Well, dude, this is finally happening. Yeah, man. It's been a been a few months in the in the works on getting the equipment and talking about it. And uh, we're finally sitting down to get it done. I know. So now that we're actually sitting, it's time to get our rum drinks ready.
0: Looks like you already have yours in a yeah, burger cup.
1: I'm a little ahead of you on that one.
0: Yeah, that's all right. That's okay. we got time. we got plenty to talk about here on the very first episode. I think we pretty much decided that um, next to somebody on the Facebook page that said um, he was trying to look, or he's been looking for a boat. He's been Wanting to make the jump from getting power boats to sailboats so you can sail around the Caribbean and I thought hey well that's perfect place to start really.
1: Yeah everybody always needs a little bit of advice on uh, where to go and what to look for whenever they're looking to purchase their first uh, watercraft Um, even if it's not your first watercraft if you're swapping from one side to the other from a powerboat to a sailboat there's a lot of differences there and you really need to know what you're doing before you uh, you go and drop that money.
0: Well even if you don't know what you're doing there's got to be a place to start you know kind of like when you're buying a car
1: yeah (laughs) same thing
0: you know you don't really know anything about cars it's really not going to stop you if that's what you really really want to want to do but i mean you knew me whenever i first pretty much came to galveston and i mean you knew how how exposed i'd been to you know sailboats and boats and all that stuff and i mean it was zero (laughs) i knew nothing i went on the gypsy north and everybody um it's interesting. There's a little quick bio of the Gypsy North on the website, but um, that's kind of how I got into, you know, boats and Chris and met you and all that stuff. Uh, he left me a list of the things uh, that I needed to check on while I was living on the boat. And he, him and you, I believe, were on cruise to Korea or somewhere around the world for the Mariner. Yep. Merchant Mariner stuff. And uh, he left me a list, something like, well, make sure to keep an eye on the voltage of the batteries and, you know, like, make sure to check the bilge and make sure there's no water in the bilge. And
1: That's, that's a big one.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the problem is that if you don't know what a bilge is, you don't really know what to look for. Very and true. I had no idea how to even, I don't even know probably what a multimeter was, to be <laughs> honest. So it's, it's been a long road. That was, what, about eight years ago? Yeah. Wow been a little while been a little while um so if you're someone like chris you'd be able to to buy a boat with a giant hole on the side and feel comfortable you know fixing it yourself but for the rest of us regular people (laughs) you know there's a there's a pretty good list of things to look for i guess um i guess the first thing you'd really look for is you know the hole you do a quick walk around i guess right
1: yeah uh if if the hole, uh, obviously that's your that's your main point you you know that's that's what's keeping the water out so before you go anywhere else you just check around make sure there's no big dings no places where you're gonna get water in no places where the paint isn't mm. we yeah. like we like paint on fiberglass fiberglass doesn't like staying wet for extended periods of time so mm-hmm.
0: and by paint you Probably talking about gel coat for the most part, you know. For the most boat. part, yeah.
1: yeah. It depends on whether or not your boat is going to be in the water all the time, or if it's going to be out on a trailer. Mm, and mm-hmm. if you uh if you're going to be out on a trailer more often, then you're probably not going to have a bottom job, and so you're just going to have gel coat, which right. is a, a type of hard paint. hmm
0: Yeah. So for the most part, before I I got either, <laughs> you know, I I was in the market um you know being exposed to the ghetto yacht club and all you and chris and scotty and which you know all the listeners will get introduced to
1: them fairly soon the ghetto yacht club i feel is is really going to involve into damn sailors we we, it has to we won't (laughs) we won't forget our roots no but we are we are all the damn sailors now yeah
0: yeah um that is that is the fleet the damn sailors fleet is the ghetto yacht club for sure and we'll For anybody that's going to keep up with us, you know, we're we're trying to get a decent enough computer to do something with all the footage we've been taking and actually put out some some good episodes on YouTube. We already have the channel, we just have no videos on there (laughs) because my computer just can't handle it. But that's okay. That'll be in the works here pretty soon, but that's actually one of the major advantages that I feel like we have to be able to tell other people is just our exposures to so many different types of boats and what to look for and you know you having trojan marine which is you know your marine service company being very successful with that which you know good job
1: <laughs> i don't know if i'd say very successful yet but we're getting there uh, we're getting you, there
0: yeah i mean it's it's tough man um galveston bay is very competitive you know this whole area you got galveston Kema, all that stuff i feel like we're getting a little off track here cheers man
1: yeah. cheers
0: so what we were talking about we were talking about holes um I remember walking in to uh, a couple of boats and seeing like what, are, what is known as sunspots where the fiberglass over time can get like really thin. That's something to look out for. And obviously if you go into a boat that you're thinking about getting and there's a bunch of water in the bilge, you know, you better get to looking. If it's an easy fix, not a big deal, you know, maybe around a hatch or something. But if you start to see a bunch of water around a tow rail, that's kind of a bigger problem.
1: Yeah, your your first uh your first places to look are going to be down in the bilge and then around all of your penetrations, which is any spot where there is a hole in the hull. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wherever there's a window, wherever there's a there's a valve that allows water in so that you can cool the engine or the air conditioning or anything like that. Those are the spots that you really want to focus on because that's more more than likely where you're going to take on water. That's where you're going to have problems. Once you get done with that, then you can get into the more nitty-gritty stuff about looking for your sunspots or your uh, blisters that have happened over Mm. time. But that'll be whenever you decide, okay, let's go a little farther with this and have it hauled out, and that's whenever you can look for blisters. You won't really have the opportunity to find any blisters with the boat in the water unless you've got a fantastic diver and some pretty clear water.
0: Yeah, or you do a, a haul out, which costs a lot of money for the most part, to really yeah. take a good look at you know, the bottom of a boat and all the seacocks, and no, that's not a dirty word. That's what they're called. <laughs> they're <are> these <laughs> valves, usually what, brass? Yeah, brass. Yeah, and you can tell once they're really old and corroded. They'll, it's kind of a scary sight, really. I mean, it's a hole. It's the only thing that's keeping water out of the boat. If you are looking around the hole and you see a seacock that's pretty corroded, I mean, that's, that's a big red flag to me
1: yeah and that that more than likely means that it's not only it's not only old and and brittle but it's probably had water leaking from it previously, and so mm-hmm. that's true, yeah
0: yeah what about the woodworking man I mean that's probably another the bane of existence for many boaters because it just never
1: ends, yeah, you know every boat they all the all the manufacturers like to like to show off a little bit of a fancifulness with their wood woodworking abilities and um, there's some people that love it and some people that hate it personally I can do without it I'd, I'd take a boat that had just gel coat and fiberglass all the way inside and out you just take a water hose and spray the thing out <laughs> but I'm more utilitarian like that um, yes. you do have to be on the lookout with your woodwork for uh, how they made their joints and and things like that you'll notice it's it's pretty easy to notice if they were good at what they did, then you won't see woodworking pieces or trim pieces starting to peel up in random spots. It'll all be laid nice and evenly unless it's got a big break in it. If you see them peeling up in random places where the joints aren't very good, that's a no-no. It's gonna happen all over the boat.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you think would be the average cost for um for like woodworking repair like if you wanted to do it yourself like what what kind of tools and I mean, what what are you really looking at? What do you think is the process? Let's say, uh, like here on Querida, I'll put a picture of of the hatch for reference, the companionway. But, I mean, you can see where some of the wood's, you know, kind of starting to rot. That's probably beyond repair. I'd probably just have to make a, a new one for there. And I'll take a picture and I'll put it in the show notes for anybody that's interested to see what I'm talking about. But, you know, just general varnishing, I guess, is just what... Yeah, sandpaper that's, the, and varnish. that's the
1: majority of your woodwork. For something like this uh, companionway hatch that we're looking at right now, it's got a little bit of rot down at the bottom. The majority of the companionway hatch can probably be salvaged. And if it fi- if you find out that you can't or you just don't want to, you have to rebuild the whole thing, everything that's required to do that is just hand tools. I mean, if you have a skill saw and a straight edge or a, a uh, speed square, and just a little bit of do-it-yourself knowledge, you can you can remake that hatch pretty easily yourself. You're not looking at more than maybe sixty bucks in material.
0: That's not bad. Measure twice, cut thrice. Yes. <laughs> what what else do you think would be uh, something that's pretty obvious? We're still talking about like bodywork. We haven't got. We're, we'll get to the rigging and to the engine, which are whole other different stories. That kind of that'll take enough time on its own.
1: Yeah, um, a major thing in in a boat that you're looking to purchase is is take a look at the floor because if it is a wood floor and it's not a fiberglass floor that's going to be your telltale sign on whether or not that boat's been taken proper care of and whether or not it's sank before mm. if it's gone if it's gone down more than once that floor is going to be delaminating in a lot of spots if the bilge continu- if the bilge consistently got high then you're going to see that in the floor it'll all the wood it doesn't matter how good the woodwork was on the floor continually the getting wet do. and dry wet and dry it's going to start delaminating and that's a big big telltale sign because even though all this stuff is really designed to get wet the less it gets wet the longer it's going to last
0: right right and uh how would you explain delamination you think you can explain that to the viewers uh let that's,
1: that's uh with your the plywood that they use um most people have an idea of of what's going on with plywood you take these these thin pieces of uh, wood that have been shaved off the tree and you glue them all together to make a thicker piece of wood and whenever they start to delaminate that glue has broken down and they pull apart from each other and there there's just no repairing that it you have to replace the the piece of plywood and cut a new piece out and that can that can start to get pretty intense depending on your floor shape and if you have to put an angle on it to slip it back in and everything like that
0: okay so i want to take a a step back here for a second we kind of went over the gel coat on the side we kind of went over the fiberglass a little bit i feel like the gel coat can be easily repaired it doesn't take too much to just you know um, get kind of diy gel coat repair kits and you know cover it up it might not be perfect the color might not be the same you know because once gel coat's been out in the sun for a long time it kind of gets a little yellowish tint that's kind of hard to match sometimes yeah if it's got a bunch of gel coat dings i mean i don't think that would necessarily stop me from getting a boat if there's a if there's a big if there's i don't know how big like chris for example i mean he bought a 42 foot whitby with a giant hole on the side of it you know and it turns out fine you know um but i feel like there's a limit on how much you can actually repair
1: yeah for instance uh, just oh maybe two or three weeks ago we were starting a job on a 33 bertram and the owner was looking into possibly changing over diesels the boat that we were going to take the donor diesels from was the exact same boat and it, they had just been put in that boat but it got loose at the dock and it just chewed the whole front end of the boat up and that was such an extensive fiberglass repair that they decided it wasn't worth fixing the boat. They pulled the brand new engines out of it. It didn't sink, but it just chewed the whole bow off. And so that's the kind of thing that you're looking at. If you're looking at what's not a flat surface anymore, if you're looking at a real curved area that's going to require a lot of skill and a lot of time to reshape that, yeah, that's when you're talking about uh, you might not want to mess with it.
0: Yeah, I think I, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs>
1: So if it's like on the beam maybe, I
0: mean even the beam would be curved, but if you're talking about like the stern or a corner, yeah. then it'll start to get a little more tricky for anybody trying to take on that fiberglass job.
1: Yeah, all your pointy bits, that's where that's where it gets more tricky cuz then you got to really start putting forms in on the backside so that you can lay your glass up properly and get your proper shape and everything and that's whenever it gets way more time consuming.
0: Yeah. So do you think we we even have time to try to tackle talking about wooden boats
1: (laughs) oh man yeah that's that's one of those where uh i think the the big thing to remember with wooden boats is you just have to you have to be passionate about it if you don't love working with wood already i would say don't mess with it because it does take a lot more time and a lot more love yeah
0: i love wooden boats they really beautiful. do they're they're awesome I love what they represent sailing has a lot of that kind of like the sailor spirit aspect to it you know yeah, exactly. what you can do and accomplish and you know big FU to traditional <laughs> forms of transportation and I love 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 wooden boats but I would never own one you know yeah, that's for other people to have and hopefully me sweet talk my way into them letting me sail it cause <laughs> I, I just I don't know if I could handle it man I mean it's hard enough, you know, with modern industrial chemicals and fiberglass and all that stuff to properly maintain a boat. You know, wood, it's just
1: not the same, even treated. Yeah, and it, and it also depends if you're going to go with a plywood boat or if you're talking something that's plank. The, the plank boat's properly taken care of. Man, they're fantastic. They're going to be around for a really long time. But uh, you are looking at a real big maintenance bill. And a uh, rule of thumb, by the way, on, on maintenance for really any boat, it varies a little bit from boat to boat, but really any boat, great rule of thumb is the original purchase price. When the boat was brand new, how much did the boat cost? Take 10% of that, and that is what you should be putting into that boat per year maintenance-wise. Hmm. If you want it to remain in tip-top condition, 10% of the original purchase price. Yeah, that's whenever it's brand new. Now, if you buy a boat that's 12 years old and you pay 40000 for it instead of 80000 for it, you still need to be putting 8000 into it every year because if you're going to keep it in good condition, that's what it takes, that the might, original.
0: That might even be assuming that the previous owner has kind of done something like that. If yeah. not, it would probably be a lot more.
1: Yeah, restarting or starting from square square one on maintenance on a boat that was not properly maintained – you're looking at a much bigger influx from the get-go. You may have to put 15,000 or 16,000 in the first year or two to get everything up to snuff so that you're not chasing your tail for the next four or five years.
0: Right. Yeah. And we'll kind of <laughs> we'll we'll add things up here in a bit. We'll we'll try to come up with a decent example, I guess near the end of either this one or the next episode because I think we're doing a two-parter on this one just cuz there's a lot of ground to cover, I think. Yeah. But Let's say that it's got some uh, gel coat repair that needs to be done. Maybe a little bit of fiberglass here or there. Maybe you got to replace the shroud. you got to change some of the lines. You know, maybe this winch is broken. You know, maybe the rudder is uh, messed up somehow. You know, all those things, they add up. I feel like it's a lot like, you know, medical supplies... If it has the word medical in it, it's like ten times more (laughs) expensive. You know, if it has the word Jeep in there, it's ten times more expensive. Oh yeah, or off road, or you know, something like that. Some kind of specialized thing. Anything having to do with boating is yep. Break out another thousand. Yeah, there you go. Boat. You got anything else to add on general body?
1: Not really. We pretty much covered uh, covered your general fiberglass and your your gel coat. It's a good indication because uh, if you have a boat. That has a lot of gel coat scratches in it and it's obvious that it was slammed into the dock a few times and or that it wasn't tied up properly because the guy didn't want to walk out to the boat whenever it was raining or something and it dinged up against the dock a few times that's your first indication maybe this boat wasn't properly taken care of maybe the guy didn't care about it the way that he should have right take that with you as you walk down in there and maybe be a little bit more critical of the stuff that you see down down inside because that's a good indication that maybe it wasn't, maybe this guy didn't care about it as much as he could have.
0: Yeah, and that might give you a little bit of leverage too when you're trying to talk about price.
1: Oh yeah, but you got to be careful with with a uh, sailboat guys. Even though it's got some dings and dents in it, man, they get they get real it's protective. About, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, even though they they maybe didn't care about it that much, if you challenge whether or not they cared about it. Yeah. They all of a sudden really care about it.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's like a reflection of themselves, you know.
1: Uh huh. We've kind of been uh, we've kind of been a little bit of Debbie Downer on all this, and guys, <laughs> you all, you you have to take it with, with what it is. We are out here day after day after day. I am boots on the ground, out on a boat every single day, and I see the neglect and and stuff like that i 'm not saying that that's what you're going to find every day because there's a lot of fantastic boat owners out there there's a lot of great deals. You just have to be vigilant about it so that you don't end up with something that you're not going to want to have
0: yeah imagine like buying a car yeah. and then uh, driving it for a hundred miles and then the engine or a piston breaking or you know yeah. something something major like that Fire's something' that you, remorse yeah you know, you'd be pretty screwed and it's not if it's not trailerable, then you're doubly screwed.
1: Yeah, yeah. A boat in the water that's you're having to pay a slip fee for, that you can't use because it's broken all the time, that's no fun. that's uh, horrible. It kind of reminds
0: me of uh, the first couple of months that I had querida I didn't have insurance and I couldn't take it out. I mean, I could take it out, but Sammy Joe, my fiance, being the voice of reason, <laughs> yeah. being like. Look, motherfucker, we're living on this boat. If something happens to it, we're
1: pretty screwed. Don't you go stay. Don't you go sail my house away with no insurance.
0: <laughs> I almost sailed it. Uh, I kept once I did get insurance, I sailed it just to go uh, out and about the bay, and then uh, realized that I stayed out a little bit too long. And she got out of school. She came home, and the boat wasn't here. Oh, oh man, no. I, I definitely got chewed out for that one. <laughs> oh man. But speaking of sailing, I guess uh, we can make the jump into the rigging. It's yeah, some of the more fun stuff that actually pertains to sailboats. I guess everything that we've talked about so far, it's not necessarily particular to sailboats. I mean, that goes for powerboats too. That goes for that's any just, boat, yeah. You know, the whole fiberglass, you know,
1: we we'll get into engines here pretty soon, but the fun stuff's the rigging. Yeah, what? that's what makes that's what makes the blowboat go. Yeah. So ju- for rigging, what he's talking about whenever he says rigging is,
0: "Oh yes, please go ahead."
1: That is um, that's your mast and the wires and the lines, all the ropes and everything that that raise and lower your sails, hold your sails up, and harness that wind power. So anything that's that is up above the deck, that's that's part of your rigging, really. right. So you're, there's two kinds of rigging. there's there's running rigging and standing rigging. And your standing rigging is the rigging that is holding up your mast. That all, that's all static stuff. It's not going to move. Well, aside from tightening it up every now and then. Right. Which we'll, I'm sure we will go into in uh, more detail in another episode. But for, for the purpose of right now, that stuff is static. Uh, your running rigging is your ropes, which on a boat you're going to call lines.
0: I was about to correct you. There's no ropes on my boat. There's only lines. Or was, sheets. Or sheets. Yeah. They were that was hammered into me. Oh yeah. That's one of the things that make you feel like a noob on a boat.
1: You know? <laughs> yeah, Pass sure me that can. rope. There's no ropes here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh the the running rigging, that's that's all of your your flexible lines that are going to adjust raise and lower and adjust your sails.
0: Right. So I guess a good place to start is the, probably there's two things that make uh, just any general boat is uh, the mass and the boom. They go hand-in-hand hand with each other. I guess it's probably the thing that's, that you can see on a boat and be like, that's a sailboat because it's got a big stick coming out from the deck.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. The big stick is a good indicator.
0: Yeah. So um, the big stick is typically made out of aluminum. I think mine is about 48, 47 feet tall. Yeah. There's a couple of uh, lines that come from the top. Typically, they're called halyards. That's what you use to raise the sails. It has a couple of uh, of wire cables called shrouds. They kind of hold it in place. I think that's probably a really good place to start if you're kind of inspecting a boat. Check, check the condition of those wire cables.
1: Yeah, your uh, standing rigging those those shrouds the wire cables that are going to come down to the very edge of the hull that those hold the mast in place without those the mast gets real flimsy real and it it wants to break or or bend and so looking at those where they enter the deck and where how they secure to the metal plates that secure them to the boat that's a real important spot because if anything happens to those, if they're rusty or if they they look like they have cracks in them or something like that, you've got some frayed pieces of the wire sticking out of the swedge fittings, which is where the the wire actually goes into a, a solid piece of stainless. Um, if you have anything going on right there that, that doesn't look appropriate, you probably need to get a rigger to come look at it because... That could get into many thousands of dollars for repair if you're looking at buying this boat, and also it makes it very dangerous to sail. You don't right. want to if you part a shroud under a heavy, heavy wind, then you could lose the mast, and that that gets real dangerous. That's a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of uh, energy coming down on top of the deck.
0: Yeah, that's what uh, Hollywood movies love to capitalize on when something goes epically wrong. Right? It's the mast yeah. just snapping off? And since uh, the masts are typically made out of aluminum, correct me if I'm wrong, they don't really bend. I mean, aluminum's really strong, but it's brittle, right?
1: Yeah, aluminum doesn't like to, to bend very readily, especially the type of aluminum that's used in a mast. Um, the aluminum that's used in a mast is called uh, grade 6061. It's a structural aluminum. It's a really hard. It's actually kind of hard to drill. Uh, 5052 is is the aluminum that's used in a hull, and it's more saltwater resistant more corrosion resistant but it's not as rigid Mm. and so the 6061 that they used on masts is uh it's pretty rigid and it's gonna it's gonna want to snap more so than bend
0: gotcha so uh the shrouds um since we're talking about shrouds obviously there's different types of uh, you know the wire cables i think it is is there a specific type of wire cables because i know that they're they're counted by the number of strands and then how many strands are actually, um, how, how is it? Uh, I know that it's like you can have, for example, seven different wires twisted together to make one strand and then have multiple strands tied okay. around together. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I forgot what they're called. That's the
1: difference between, between uh, wire rope and just wire I believe is the difference between it. The thicker strands that are twisted together one time, that's just regular wire. And then the stuff that's braided with smaller strands and then they're all twisted twisted around, that's wire rope. Wire rope is more flexible. They generally don't use it so much on the shrouds because it's just not needed. You don't need the flexibility in the shrouds. Mm -hmm. But if you have a halyard that is made of wire... That's typically done with wire rope.
0: Right. And it's really hard to know what kind it is because it's impossible to just count the actual strands from the outside. Um, But I think it's typically, you'll have something like, I just pulled it up, something here on my phone. We have 7 by 19. So we have 7 strands, and each strand has 19 little cables in it. And unless it's actually labeled, there's just no way for you to actually know what kind it is if you need to replace it and the reason that's important is because if you you do go check out a sailboat and you do see that one of them is frayed and you need to replace it it's kind of hard to know exactly what kind
1: yeah what you're what you're getting into that's why I would say if you see anything that looks like it's it's off on the as far as the rigging goes call a rigger out that's what they do for a living it's literally there's a whole profession that is just that stuff Mm mm-hmm and uh even with my company we don't we don't get into it too much because that's a whole other ball game. anything going up that mast and everything it it turns into a whole nother deal
0: isn't it crazy that there's like multiple specializations just within you know a boat yeah it's i mean it's it's that's why i think it's it's so cool because it's it's the culmination of so many different systems that we've learned over the years you know oh man it's awesome
1: so, uh, getting back to the, to the stick that comes out. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're going to have a couple of different types of masts. Well, really, there's several different types of masts, but the two that you're going to see the most are going to be a keel step or a deck step. Mm, right. And your deck step means what it sounds. That means that the mast comes down and rests on top of the deck, and then it's supported underneath by a beam of some kind. A keel step means the mast goes through the, through the deck and all the way down to the keel of the boat. And that's a that's my personal favorite. It's a stronger way of doing it. It's not necessarily everyone's favorite, but I like it because it's it gives good rigidity. It's a real strong way of doing it, and it doesn't fail that often. Things that you gotta look at with the, the two different kinds. Your deck step, you gotta look at, is the deck starting to collapse around the mast? That means that you might have rot in the deck. And that's supporting your mast. That's a that's a big no no. If you start tightening down those shrouds because they're loose and you start the deck starts coming in, well, mm-hmm. that's a big that's a big problem. Right. Now your keel step also has its own problems because that mast has to go all the way through the through the uh, deck, you have a penetration right there. So that's where water can get in. And if the water can get in right there, then you can have rod all the all around the mast you can you can corrode the base of the mast that's going to be down in the bilge and that's a big no-no as well a lot of times what will happen is you'll corrode that base of the mast and then you'll it'll actually start wiggling around down there you have to remove the entire mast cut a couple inches off shorten the whole rig
0: it's pretty scary but i, I think that's one of the places that um i usually go and check if i'm looking at a boat like you know interested in in buying it, which... I don't know why I would ever do that since I'm still paying for this one, but I can't help myself, is, um, you know, the base of the mast? You know, you can see where if if it if it's putting either too much weight on the deck or anything, you'll start to see cracks on the outside.
1: Yeah, you'll see spider cracks in the gel coat. or
0: And it's hard to know whether it actually goes through the gel coat into the fiberglass or it's just the gel coat. Because yeah. if it's just the gel coat, that's not, you know, doesn't look pretty but it's not a big deal yeah but if it actually goes through then you know you're talking about pretty serious repairs because you can't just fill it in you pretty much have to cut it and re-glass which
1: a lot of times uh you can just kind of walk up and bunny hop next to the mast and if it's if it's a serious problem that deck will flex yeah as long as you weigh more than you know like 110 pounds right if kinda you like don't, a, if you don't go get your buddy Joe that's eating donuts, <laughs> kind
0: of like the the soft spots that I was talking about, you know, exactly it flexes in the deck and and things of that nature. So in order for the mast actually do what it needs to and uh, hold the type of force that it takes to fill in, fill in a sail, it uses a boom, which is for the most part pretty similar in uh, material. Uh, for those that don't know and are interested. So, you have a mast that's vertical. The boom comes out of it horizontal, typically a couple of feet from the deck. And um, you have two axes pretty much on the sail. One of the, um, the mast would be the y axis. The boom would be the x axis. Uh, so, the joint between the two, that's another pretty important place to look. Yeah, that's called your gooseneck. There you go. Uh, so, besides that, um, most of the lines that come that. Go from the top of the mast down to the bottom they go through the inside so you have a bunch of uh, system of pulleys and things of that nature to look out for so um if i were to go out and look at a boat or i'm sailing a boat for the first time you know you, you just take i don't know it comes out to be in 20 30 minutes i don't know i've never timed it but you know just run the lines just make sure that you know n- nothing's seized up the lines aren't frayed to the point where it would be unsafe to try to put a sail up or put that amount of tension on the lines and lines is something that we'll go over here shortly I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, did we almost skip chain plates? That's kind of a big one.
1: We we started to get into it where we talked about the penetrations uh, where the shrouds come down and meet the edges of the hull. The way that those attach to the hull itself is called your chain plates. Those are those are major deal.
0: Yeah, you don't just drill into the fiberglass and put a couple of <laughs> screws into the fiberglass and hope that it'll hold a mast up.
1: Yeah, we're not hanging a punching bag. We're not just putting an eye bolt. <laughs> so your chain plates, are there's there's a bunch of different styles, but for the most part, what you've got is a piece of plate stainless that has a bunch of bolts in it that that are going into the hull, and that's spreading the load of that cable through the hull. And... If they are accessible, you need to look at them. On some boats, they are just not accessible without tearing the tearing the interior out pretty badly, which but is something
0: they're... that the owner would probably not take too kindly about. But I mean, to be fair, if I, if you are going to spend you know big money into looking at a boat,
1: yeah, I if mean, you're that's... looking at an eighty thousand dollar boat, you're definitely going to be like, hey man, let's go ahead and tear up. Come on, let's tear up a thousand dollars in woodwork so that we don't have to worry about ten thousand dollars in chain plates. or losing a rig
0: and to be fair if it's not that accessible and they haven't checked it in a while it's probably in their best interest too
1: yeah yeah so your chain plates oftentimes you'll get cracks in them yeah there that's another penetration through through the deck of the boat and anytime you got that penetration you've got where water can get in and moisture can stay there for extended periods of time They're right there on the rail, so if you dip the rail while you're sailing, you're getting salt water on them. If salt water gets down there, it stays there for a long time. They get stress cracks in them right along where they drill the the holes for the bolts to go in. They get stress cracks.
0: We need to put some pictures up on the show notes of, what is that, Moonlight, Serious Moonlight? Serious Moonlight, yeah. Oh, We've man. got a boat
1: where we re- that we recently uh, had to get into with replacing the chain plates, and uh, the owner was out sailing it, and he looked up and said, well, that doesn't look right. That shroud's really loose. Well, he had parted a shroud. Actually, he would parted a chain plate. And uh, on further inspection, we found that every chain plate on the boat was, was severely cracked and getting ready to go. So,
0: geez. So the chain plate is a is a solid steel or stainless steel, solid piece of steel that attaches to these specific points in the hull. And um uh, the person who manufactures or builds the boat has these places in mind and they're structurally sound to be able to attach these chain plates onto these points. Yes. These points still have to go through the deck. What what is keeping the water just from coming in is that just some silicone little putty or what
1: yeah a lot of times uh from the manufacturer they'll use a really heavy duty butyl tape and uh they'll use that and also there's uh this other stuff um i believe is the name of it and uh, it's used to bed windows and all this different that's the stuff i use on my window yeah, yeah exactly and uh it's real workable it it spreads easier it leaves a nice bead and it's uh, it's very weather resistant, but over time in the sun, just like with anything, nothing's forever. It'll break down and start to allow the water in. Right. Um, you'll hear a lot of people talk about uh, this 3M 5200 or 4000. Oh yeah, that's big. It it it's a big thing, and a lot of people swear by it. I'm telling you, I'm telling you now, guys. I work with this stuff all the time. You very almost never need 5200 the only time you are ever going to need 5200 is if you are redoing a through hole that or is a the, keel yeah or bedding a keel i mean those are that's big time stuff that's going to be under the water for the rest of its life that is the only time you need 5200 other than that you're just making a massive mess and it doesn't spread well and it doesn't look good right it's also 5200 if you're using it in a deck penetration it's going to go away quick the stuff is not uv stabilized 4000 is UV stabilized, but it's also kind of nasty to work with, and it doesn't leave a very pre- pretty bead. There's, there are other caulks and silicones that are specifically designed to be on the deck, outside, all the time, and they're easy to work with. They leave a pretty bead, and they look good.
0: Right. Yeah, that's a good one, for sure. So, with all the lines in the rigging, there's different types of lines, obviously. I think the most popular <coughs> one is Nylon. It'll be, for the most part. What what do you think is the most common? Like half inch. Uh,
1: yeah, it for depends the sheets on... typically. Yeah. You know that's
0: yep. um, and for she- sheets, sheets are, are what you use to control a sail. Uh, so you got halyards that kind of work it up the y-axis, and um, let's say you're trying to sail on a starboard tack. So that means that, you know. No,
1: um, oh, well, we might be getting a little bit too far off. On that, that you're right. You're right. So
0: sheets control the sail, whether it's on the port side or the starboard side. That's what you use uh, to either make it tighter or looser. Halyards bring it up and down. You're right. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. Uh, we're, we're talking about buying boats right now. Um, so, yeah. Sheets, sheets can get pretty expensive. So that's, yeah. that's something else to, or lines can get pretty expensive, uh, that's something else to look out for, just so you know kind of what you're getting into
1: yeah, a lot of what of what uh, people use is called Stay Set X um, by uh, Samson Samson Line Company and it's that's pretty much the standard at least that's what we use around here it's, it's not extraordinarily expensive but it's not the cheap stuff and it's going to last because it has an outer sheath that's UV stabilized and then an inner core that's taking all of your load and to replace uh, to replace lines like that, you're generally looking at four hundred, five hundred dollars or so in line. If you're going to replace one, you might as well replace all of them because you don't want to be you don't want your lines to have different lifespans. Right. If if one of them's starting to mess up, just replace them all now while you've got the equipment while you're doing it. Just do it.
0: Yeah. And um, the reason it gets that expensive is um, just just think about for example Querida. It's 32 feet long. I think my mast is about 47 48 like I said. So the rope has to go up those 47 feet. It has to come down the 47 feet and then it has to, since it's just about a little bit forward of the beam and it's 32 feet, it's got to make it all the way to the cockpit. So that's uh it's about 120 feet in just one line. Yeah, you know, and you got all <laughs> different kinds of line which we'll get into maybe in another episode, but
1: Oh yeah, we can have a whole episode on line, knots and all that. Oh, uh, we should definitely talk about like
0: old timey boats, tall ships, maybe do an episode <laughs> on the Alyssa and Old Manila and and hemp rope and stuff like that. Oh yeah. That'd be cool. You should see Ricky's face right
1: now. He's getting all lit up.
0: Ah, it's so cool. I just I just finished uh, listening to the audiobook for the first Horatio Hornblower. Oh nice. But, oh man. I'm all about the fucking Napoleonic tall ships right now and <laughs> the British Navy. Oh, so cool. All
1: right, well, before we before we lose everybody, the last part that we got to talk about <laughs> is the engine.
0: I don't think we've quite made it that far yet. Well, have uh, We got we, wenches and the sails. We haven't talked about the sails. The actual sails. Yeah,
1: we're going to have we're going to have to speed that up. Yeah. So, what are we at?
0: We're about 42 minutes. We can probably finish finish the rest of the rigging which would probably just be sails and wenches and cleats and stuff like that and then
1: we might get into engines in the next episode because that applies to both power boats and and sailboats. And we got
0: inboards and outboards and outdrives and yeah. all kinds of stuff. So yeah, let's finish up the rigging and then we'll save the next episode.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: So what do you want to do? You wanna do like wenches? Wenches are expensive.
1: Yeah, winches can get real expensive.
0: Jeez. Oh, Self tailors and all the moving parts. I mean to be fair I mean they're they're pretty ingenious pieces of engineering to multiply work it's kind of like a pulley yeah. but way cooler <laughs> <laughs> and it it just comes in handy so so much whenever you're either pulling the halyard up the the more that the sail goes up the harder or the more force it takes to get it up there cuz even if you're heading straight into the wind which we'll go into that those of you that don't know what that means once it starts to get halfway up that mast, it you know if you're just pulling it by hand, it gets pretty hard. You know yeah. you need that mechanical advantage, and that's where winches come in. And there's a reason why winches are expensive because pretty awesome pieces
1: of engineering. Yeah, you and uh, proper winch maintenance is it's really not that hard. But it, nobody does it. Yeah, but nobody does it. They because they are very very well designed. It's one of those items that just easily gets left behind in the dust because other things break way before the winch does. Yeah. It's working
0: so I won't mess with it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And uh, so whenever you get on the boat, you just grab those winches and give them a little spin. And a winch that's been properly maintained and is in good condition is going to spin. It's going to have a good, solid clicking sound going on. Right. And uh, you've got to get the winch handle and stick it in there because maybe the winch spins, but when you put the winch handle in, the gears don't engage
0: right and then if you start talking about self tailors like for example my port wench on the cockpit the there's something wrong with the self tailor
1: it's it oh, It's yeah. missing
0: a little plastic piece it's like 20 bucks I just need to go
1: yeah the, go get the it. bottom jaw I think broke off of it right yeah mm-hmm. and
0: that makes a huge difference man especially if you're trying to uh, single hand yeah you know, you need you all don't those have advantages to, yeah if you
1: don't have to hold on to that line with one hand while you're Running the winch handle with the other one, then you can keep steering.
0: Right, or you could even do it from the wheel. Yeah, you
1: know, if if you're maybe going downwind
0: and just light wind, you can do all that stuff. But basically, I mean, especially if you're thinking about uh, soloing a boat, if you're thinking about like a big trip, or you know, just doing a lot of sailing on your own, you need all those little advantages that you can get because it can get pretty complicated and pretty tough pretty fast
1: yeah you know and you're going to have multiple different kinds of winches you got the single speed winch that is just real basic and that's just a drum it's a drum that has that has a clicker in it that's going to keep it it's a anti-reverse and that's going to keep it from spinning in the opposite direction when you put on when you put it under load right then you're going to have the multi speed winches and that's maybe you rotate the handle one way, and that's one-to-one. You rotate the handle the other way, and that's two-to-one, so on and so forth. Right. Yeah, and it, I think the most I've seen, what what does it go up to? They, they've got, uh, I think they have four-speed winches. Where you've got buttons on top of the winches, I've actually never seen one of those functioning though. A wench that has a transmission? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly what it is. What? But I've actually never seen, I've never run into. I, I don't.
0: Probably because it's like ten thousand dollars.
1: Yeah, I, I I generally don't deal with sailboats that are in good enough condition to have <laughs> functioning. Ghetto yacht club baby.
0: Yeah, that's that's what we're exposed to. I hopefully you'll you'll get some clients like that, and then, you know, maybe you can take a couple of pictures or something.
1: Well, we've got that Oyster 57 sitting over in uh at Pier 77 right now. That one's probably got some that one's probably got multi-speed electric winches actually. Whoa. They're about the size of about the size of my waist. Jeez. Why? <laughs> <laughs> it's a 57-foot boat that that's got like a 10-foot draft. So, I mean, it's it's a big boat. Wow. So, it's
0: kind of like a fuck you
1: money Oh yeah. I, I can do
0: what I want type stuff.
1: Yeah, that's a easily a two two and a half million dollar boat. Ooh. Awesome.
0: Alright, so we covered wenches, covered lines. Now sails. Sails. That's the big one. Yeah. And to be honest, that is probably for me loving sailboats as much as I do, I gotta admit, I'm probably not as knowledgeable on sails as I should be. I'll put the sail up, and it'll get me from A to B. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. um, I know the basics of like trying to repair a sail. And Chris has that awesome machine that I still have not used. For as much as you know, sailors and me that love the ocean and love everything that the ocean provides and being able to sail anywhere, anytime, the sun and the water are your enemy. But they're also what make everything so beautiful. You know what I mean? And we yeah. start to get into kind of like a more philosophical <laughs> area of it. But I think I'm saying that because it's most apparent on the sails. Yeah. That's... It, it really sucks. I've seen some videos online of somebody that puts a sail up and they never put a sail cover on
1: it, which is very important. Yeah. Keeping it out of that UV light, it, it, it makes a huge difference. It just rots it, man.
0: It just it makes it. Incredibly brittle, and uh, all of the stitching comes apart. So right. I your, wish you blow I blow out at the seams. I wish I knew how much force is actually applied onto the sails. You know, in like I don't know, five knots. You know, because it's a lot of sail area, and uh, and we'll we'll get into that in you know another actual sailing episode. But you use bigger sails when there's less wind. You use smaller sails, or the same sail, just um, you shorten it yeah. with what it reefs. Put a reef in it. But if the sail itself is in bad condition, it it, it won't last long. You, everything could be right, and if your sail is not good or rotten, you'll you'll be pretty screwed pretty quick.
1: So something to think about on that is um, if you're looking at at getting a boat and you know that the sails are going to be in in poor condition, or the owner says, "Hey, man, the sails are in pretty bad condition." But you can think about whenever it comes to that is, is it a common boat? If it's a common sailboat, chances are pretty good you're going to be able to find a used set of sails for very little money that don't have a whole lot of wear on them. Right. There's guys that, that go out and they race these and they they put a lot of money into them and they're going to use a set of sails for one year and then they're going to replace them and they're going to put the old ones on eBay mm-hmm. or on, on a forum or some something like that. So you can pick up another set of sails for your boat. If you're not going out and racing it every weekend, you're not going to need a brand spanking new set of sails,
0: right? We're talking about Pearsons, Hunters, Catalinas, yeah, O days, eh, O days are,
1: but the thing is, is that a lot of times, depending on the the way the sail is is uh, set up, if it's a tough luff or if it is uh, hank on, or if you've got uh, uh, the slides. What are the slides called? Tracks. Yeah, the, the track the track and slide type sails they're they're interchangeable from boat to boat you just have to take measurements and see how big of a triangle do I need
0: right and if it's close enough you can even a just change of some of the you hardware can, you know yeah, and
1: a lot of times you can just change the hardware and, and use a sail from a totally different boat so that's yeah that's true that's
0: very true so if you have if you have a kind of an uncommon boat, can get pretty expensive like let's say you're looking at a uncommon boat whatever it may be let's say it was a my boat a furia 32 it's built in commie europe (laughs) damn socialists there's not a lot of them here uh, that i know of in the u.s definitely not here in texas it would be possible to get a bigger sail and kind of restitch it to fit but if you're going through that trouble and and you have a a decent enough sewing machine, which by itself is pretty expensive. You might as well just go to a sailmaker, and just get one done. And that's yeah. something else that you got to think of, you know. When and
1: work. a lot of times, what happens with the sails, it's not always the the sail material itself that is is uh degrading so badly. A lot of times, it's the stitching. Right. And so, a lot of times, you can take that sail in and if the material is still nice and stiff and it's not all stretched out you can have the sail restitched for a fraction of what it costs to get a brand new one and then you've got your sail that's made for your boat still without having to buy a brand new one
0: right yeah that's true that's a very good one and here we are yet again at another very specific trade within yes the marine community you yes. know there like are sailmakers,
1: makers and then there are riggers.
0: Right, yeah. Independent of each other. Yeah. And they deal with like this the biggest part of, you know, sailing. Individual
1: trades. Pretty cool. You wanna talk about uh head sales? Yeah, yeah, well, you've got your yeah, your head sail so your head sail versus your main sail. Right. Um I'll let you have this one. I'll take a sip of my rum. <laughs> So uh, your your head cell versus your main cell, a lot of times your main cell is going to be in better condition than your head cell, and that is just the natural order of things. Uh, that's <laughs> that's how the sails go because the the main sail is supported by the boom in the back, and you don't have you don't have it flogging nearly as much, which means it's just flapping in the wind and beating itself up because it's more it's a little bit more controlled having the boom as an extra member to, con- to keep it stiff. Anytime that sail's flapping around and, and waving in the wind heavily, that's that's putting little crinks, kinks and, and crinkles in that, that stiff ma- sail material. And the more kinks and crinkles, just like with leather, whenever you first make leather the stuff is stiff as heck. And then you work it and work it and work it work it and then it gets nice and soft. That's a very good analogy. Same thing happens with the sails.
0: <clears throat> Tip of the hat to you, sir.
1: <laughs> so your head sail is constantly—that's a—that's a heavily worked sail. That sail is moving from from port to starboard in a big way every time you tack, mm-hmm. and then it gets a heck of a lot of pressure put on it whenever you're trying to sail closer to the wind. Obviously, like Ricky said, we're going to get uh, get into the points of sail and. How to sail uh, on another episode, but that sail gets worked really heavily, and a lot of times uh, you'll find people that will be scared to put the proper tension on that sail vertically to keep it from having sag spots right up against the forestay. So the, that that head sail is going to ride. That's your jib. That's going to ride right there on your forestay. And if you don't put enough tension vertically on that sail, it's going to bag in between the points that it attaches to on the forestay. And every one of those bags is going to get blown out more and more and more and stretched more and more and more until you really just can't properly fly the sail because it's just loose in places it can't, it's not supposed to be. Right. Do you want to explain <laughs> what
0: the forestay is real quick? To...
1: Uh, that's just like your... your uh, it's like a shroud, but yeah. on the front of the boat. Exactly. That's yeah. that's holding pressure on the mast to the front of the boat, or the bow. And then your backstay is holding pressure to from the back of the mast to the back of the boat. Yeah. So, um, for the most part, pretty general. I
0: guess we're taking a little step <laughs> back to talk about shrouds again. Yeah. There's different axis. There is the bow, stern, and then starboard. And port. There are shrouds on the starboard and port side, keeping it from going sideways. And then there are shrouds in the bow and the stern. One of them keeping it from going too further back. One of them from to keep it from going too further, for, ah, too far forward. There you <laughs> go. That's what I'm trying to say.
1: That rum loosened your
0: tongue up a little. Seriously, man. I feel like that's just pretty normal for me. That's pretty par for course. <laughs> So anyway that the the shroud in the front, the forestay, it's got a dual purpose where um that's where it's like a track that you use to bring the head sail up. Yes. And that's for head sails that you got to bring up with a halyard. There's well, also yeah. um roller fillers. Yes. It's something else, another awesome piece of engineering that makes the life of a sailor that much easier until it doesn't. Until it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> Some of it is just so, so cool, the concept of it, you know, that, that just make your life easier. But when it breaks, it just just makes it so much harder. The roller furler can definitely be one of those things.
1: That's, so for the, for the purpose of, of purchasing the boat, if you've never messed with the roller furler before, they're, they're a lot of fun. They make it super easy to sail the boat, but they also can be very expensive to repair. And so that's one thing you definitely want to check whenever you're going through and looking at the sails and everything is, go ahead and roll it out and roll it back in. If it rolls in and out pretty easily, then you're all right.
0: Yeah, and like you were saying, just as in um, a head sail or a jib, I don't know if we covered that. Jib is a head sail. Mm-hmm. Being able to pull the sail up and being able to maintain the proper amount of tension so that it doesn't create these pockets that stretch out more than other parts of the sail. The roller furler is the same way. If you have a jib in a roller furler, there has to be the proper amount of tension on that halyard. It still uses a halyard. It, yeah. it's, it's just a different system. So if you see a roller furler that doesn't have that tension, it's a pretty good indication that it might have some issues like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you're, you're, that, uh, that whole system, just a real basic brushing over on what a roller furler is it takes your sail and it rolls it up like a, like a peach piece of parchment. It yeah. just rolls that sail around the forestay. So, and that's how it gets stored. So it's wrapped up nice and tight right there. And you don't have to take it up and down every time and store it yourself. It just rolls right up right there. And right. so it's on a bearing system and that those bearings need to be, some of them are lubricated. Some of them are actually dry bearings. Um,
0: you can use dry lube. Mine, yeah. I put dry lube on mine, and it started working fine. it, yeah. it wasn't working whenever I first got it. Yeah, the That's all the, the
1: dry the dry lube ones they have I I can't remember it. Vitrum, vitrium or something like that as dry lube. No, the name of the material that the bearings are made out of. Oh, I gotcha um, But at any rate, they're they're a wonderful tool. They can be a hassle.
0: Right. Well, when it works, it's great. Just like everything else. I think that pretty much covers everything, man
1: yeah I think uh, I think that's a good stopping point for for this particular episode um and we can get more into the other aspects of it whenever we talk about power boats and more next time
0: oh this is all you man <laughs> uh, I think i I just
1: got the questions
0: Sam is the expert I'm just the aficionado and uh I don't know that's exciting there's there's a whole other we're we're talking about uh marvels of engineering
1: this is really where engineering kind of shines <laughs> the different propulsions. I mean, the, the engineering put into the sailboats is is pretty spectacular as well on some of these new designs. But uh, there's it's just it's it's a little different, a little different in in the the thought process on how it goes. Obviously, right? Cool. Well, uh, anything else you want to add? Um, I think there we we went over a heck of a lot of material. I know it's going to be a lot for people to digest. So um, just leave us a. Leave us some questions on yeah. on the Facebook page or on the on the website. Send us an email if you uh, have heard something that you want us to look into a little deeper. We'll try to address it um, on the next episode, and if not the next episode, heck, it might be something that is going to end up in a full episode of its own.
0: Right? Yeah. Or if if um, if you feel like we got something wrong, you know, please let us know. Uh, send us an email thosedamnsailors at gmail dot com. Uh, you can go to our website. By the time of this recording, all the comments will be enabled, and uh the in the podcast section, so feel free to leave a comment, go to our Facebook page. Uh, I just started an Instagram account, I put a picture of uh, us having to wade onto the boat because of the hurricane. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's not about, even nowhere near us, but it's it's causing problems over here, yeah, holy cow, it's pretty crazy um so yeah. You know, I actually already showed I showed a guy the website the other day, and he loved the uh, the emblem so much. He said, "When are y'all get When are y'all making shirts? I want one."
0: Great! That makes me so happy because that is something that I want to make happen pretty soon. Um, and once I make it happen, I'll I'll put up a shop,
1: digital shop, on the website. I've got some new shirts coming in for uh, Trojan Marine already. Man, uh, I
0: like that material. But anyway, we'll go over this. Yeah, <laughs> off air. Sorry to bore you guys. Um, Thank you for joining us uh we'll see you i guess next week when we release release the next episode where we're gonna go over engines which is one of the major parts in having a boat of any kind really yeah this will be
1: buyer's guide part two uh more about motorboats yeah so
0: once again guys thanks for sailing with us this is damn sailors y'all have fun if you have any questions let us know bye-bye later